Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. So before we get started, I want to ask, did you catch our earlier episode with Patreon, the site that gets creators paid by running a membership business for their fans? Look, we liked it so much and we're so inspired that we created our own Patreon page. Really, we did it for two reasons. One, it lets us connect with you, our fans and listeners. And two, it helps us continue to make great content, get on better speakers, and find creative ways to continue this conversation with art and tech. So look, you can pledge as little as a dollar and become one of our patrons. To do so, check out patreon.com slash state of the art. And now on to today's episode. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome the CEO of Ello, Todd Berger. In late 2012, Todd came up with the idea of creating an alternate social network for creatives, focusing heavily on the individual's right to privacy. Now, nearly five years later, Ello is a network that puts creators first, consisting of an ecosystem that works great and ideas that get rewarded. Today, I talked to Todd about why he felt the need to create a different kind of social network, how he thinks artists succeed in the 21st century, and what he sees for the future of Ello. So please, Allow me to welcome today's guest, Todd Berger. Why don't you quickly tell us, what, what is Ello? Ello is a publishing and collaboration platform for artists uh, and an ecosystem in which we connect those artists with brands, agencies, and other individuals uh, looking to either show or utilize artwork in some way. Okay. It's, uh, to simplify it further, it's a platform that connects artists with brands and fans. Cool. In Googling Ello, you come across a number of articles uh, that talk about you coming out as a, as a Facebook killer, but now a, a, you know, a creator network. I mean, you know, how did, that, how, did art, how did Ello become the artist colony that it is? Well, it started out as one. So we incubated Ello here in this studio. Where are we right um, now? We're in, we're uh, in, we're in beautiful, Boulder, Boulder. beautiful Boulder, Colorado yeah. at uh, what was previously the Burger and Fair design studio. Burger and Fair is on hiatus and this is now Ello's headquarters. Um, so we incubated the project here under the auspices of building an alternative network for creatives. Yeah. Um, really, because if we were going to build any sort of alternative network, those are the only people we largely know and associate with. Yeah. So that would naturally be the people we would build a, a network community platform for. Solution and I set out designing that thing with our friend Paul Budnitz. This is maybe as early as late 2012. Conceptually, just what would an alternative network yeah. look like? And how would creative people interact with it? And the founding design of it, which has never been realized in totality for any number of reasons, which I'll elaborate on, uh, it's it's where the product is at now is different than, slightly different than what was originally conceived. Mm -hmm. um, 
but the concept arose out of how Lucian and I specifically engaged and interacted with all the other creatives around the world mm-hmm. that we regularly interacted with. So using tools at the time like private messaging, video chat, uh, doing peer reviews between some video chat tool, uh, Apple messages, and the phone. Like, dude, check out my work. What do you think about this? Like, here's where we're at on this identity. We don't like the R. We're thinking about tweaking it. Like, drag a screenshot, share it, get on a video. Like, we did a lot of that stuff. We still do. So we thought, like, there was an opportunity to have a network for people like us that thought like us that had lots of work to share and that could benefit from sharing it with both their peers and the public. Uh, in ways that would lead to enhanced visibility, ultimately influence, and then opportunity stemming from all that. So that was really the founding premise yeah. of the thing. So we we roughed out a prototype, uh, raised a little bit of money, started inviting our creative peers globally, and they started joining. It was all invite only. Uh, and then that started to swell and swell and swell, and we got some traction, and we had a lot of people on it. Yeah. O- overwhelmingly just artists and designers. Um, I'd say the first... 60,000 people were some of the best artists and designers from established to emergent in the world. This is, most people don't know this. This is yeah. before Elo blew up in the mainstream. Uh, so similarly, around the same time, we drafted a manifesto around why we were building this thing. Pretty heavily focused on privacy at the time because yeah. that was it's still a concern, but that was a bigger concern then. Uh, felt like we as a team agreed and felt like people were throwing away their rights to privacy. And if there was going to be any sort of new network specifically for creatives, their rights were going to have to be protected, particularly around privacy because the, the sort of creative vanguard on the internet uh, is one of the sectors of society that's most informed about what's really happening in the world. And so this er erosion of privacy because of the explosion and adoption of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these big social products that uh, sold your data to whoever and then integrated ads um, was really becoming problematic, is problematic, and is part of why our society is experiencing some of the issues it's experiencing today. So privacy was important uh, at the time. And that that manifesto that we drafted kind of caught fire. Uh, we had investors all over the world trying to give us money. Uh, one article at the time, the manifesto, stepping back, the manifesto caught fire. A journalist published an article calling us the Facebook killer. Uh, our CEO at the time uh, really wanted to lean into that. And like the narrative was going to evolve from we have this small, cool, interesting network for creatives that's growing to we could be the Facebook killer. Mm. And that was seen as the path to raise a bunch of money and try and do something audacious. Uh, it was met with quite a bit of opposition internally. Um, needless to say, we went down that road for a short while. Yeah. And uh, it did a lot of damage to the creative community at the time, brought on a lot of, in my mind, worthless, non-really contributing sorts of people seeking a Facebook alternative, backyard barbecue photos, like letter to my sister. Like that shit's great, but it's not, yeah. a, it's not a value to an art community um so we had a lot of that stuff happening and uh after all sorts of internal struggles trying to you know get back to where we started we hit a a fork in the road um where it no longer made sense for 
the current CEO to be CEO and pursue that direction. And I was given the opportunity to, in essence, bring things back full circle to what our founding premise was, which was to focus on creatives. We've largely always viewed Ello as a creator's network internally long yeah. before we formally called it that. I, I love the line that you said before where it's, it's not about uh, bullshitting about your that's, life, that's political Mar fodder, that's, that's, uh, or backyard barbecue. And I think that's a quote from Mark, our CMO, maybe adjusting a quote from me or I'm not, I'm not sure where yeah. you got that, but yeah, it was never, the product was never about that. That, that was how we largely viewed social, but ultimately we wanted to build an alternative network for creatives that focused on creatives that went to work for them every day and help them further establish their careers. Yeah. And we felt like, and still feel like, like we did that. We figured out how to have fairly successful creative careers. And we've always tried to help all the other creatives around us in any way we can further their careers yeah. through the things we've learned. And similarly, all sorts of people have helped me to get to where I am, right? So we try to pay that forward and give it back. So we thought we could build a community with some of our knowledge and uh, potential reach and integrate the kinds of tools and experiences that would help people advance their creative careers. And so yeah. that's where the product is today. And, and that's what we're doing, what we're focused on. And I, I want to dive deeper into and sort of like where you're going today. I mean, there, but there's been other networks that have had creative. So like Tumblr is one. I mean, Instagram is another. We just had an artist who's done a lot on Instagram. I mean, what are your views on those platforms and what they've done for the creative community? I think they're all super cool. Um, you know, Tumblr. Really? Yeah, yeah, I'll elaborate in, yeah. in, in their own right, right? Yeah. You know, I think Tumblr is totally dope still. Yeah. Uh, I can't get into the nuances of the most recent, ac recent acquisition and what's happened behind the scenes because I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but the founding premise of that blogging, of building this blogging platform and then letting people, you know, customize and tweak their own blogs and connecting them all was and still is brilliant. And the fact that uh, super more so emergent than established artist community, creative community emerged there yeah. sort of accidentally because of the utility it provided it was brilliant uh sort of random fortuitous event but tumblr wasn't built to be for artists yeah. per se um and so it's limited in its capacity to do anything other than enable one to show their work and potentially promote it, mm -hmm. um, which, which has great value. And in, and in web 1.0 early publishing land, that was huge. And that was breakthrough. And that was crazy. You could have one blog, you could have 20 blogs, you could access them all from the same account. Yeah. Super fucking cool. Uh, we can come back to that. So I dig Tumblr and I still dig Tumblr and spend time there looking at uh, rad work. Uh, you know, Instagram, when we started building Ello, Instagram wasn't what it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, Instagram has always been interesting. But even back then, uh, not much different than how I view it today. Like, I don't see Instagram making like, and, and maybe this is because I'm an asshole, but I don't see Instagram like making everyone a photographer. I yeah. think it's enabled everyone to be a kind of crappy documentarian of their own life and share that with other people and yeah. then try to stylize it to make their life look as brilliant or better than their neighbors as, as possible. That's, that's my oversimplification of Instagram. Now, sure. within that ecosystem, there's all sorts of positive things that come out of it. But for artists, it's largely about, hey, look at my stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's a big community here. There's scale. So a lot of people see it. But similarly to Tumblr, like Instagram, 
isn't for artists. It wasn't made for artists and they're not doing anything for artists beyond enabling them to expose themselves, yeah. which is of massive value. Yeah. But it comes at a cost to the artists if they don't care because they're giving away all their data and they have to deal with a bunch of crappy ads. And for lots of people, that's totally fine. And then yeah. other people want for better or worse to spend a lot of time keeping tabs on all sorts of other people, because that's one of the things we're doing in our society today. Yeah. Um, which isn't very interesting to me personally, but what, um, I mean, so think that, so it sounds like, I mean, like you say, it wasn't built for artists. Um, but it, it has both of those platforms enabled some level of discovery versus something like dribble yeah. that was built for graphic designers to share shots, little pieces of their work and, yeah. and has layered on more and more specific tools to support those creatives. So that, yeah. that to me is the difference. Like, like products, in the internet age that gets scale, artists will find their way there yeah. to leverage the scale. That doesn't mean the product's for them or it gives, gives them any extra special benefits to anyone else. Then there's places, uh, you know, um, Behance, for example, that's yeah. explicitly for designer creative portfolios. So the large distinction I make is, is the thing really for artists or is it not? but artists can still use the thing when yeah. talking about platforms like yeah. that. You know? I mean, the, the, the one thing, would you say that Instagram and Tumblr help artists at least get discovered more from potential they help, they help them collectors, buyers, people of interest what, versus Behance and Dribble, which is geared more towards a tool that they can use. More professional graphic yeah. designer tools. Uh, I mean, are, are there a lot of collectors trolling Tumblr? Not many, but I'm sure there's some smart ones yeah. there doing that. Um, same thing goes for Instagram. Um, but, but, you know, coming like sort of full circle on that, there's tools for artists and there's mainstream tools. The mainstream tools that have the most scale in some ways may be some of the most beneficial tools to yeah. artists today because people are getting exposure. But then there's, uh, you know, the, the value Behance brings to someone that, you know, can't build their own website, doesn't need to have a portfolio beyond Behance. There's a lot of network connectivity in Behance to collaborate and work with other artists. Yeah. That's, that's massive and, and different, you know? What, what, what do you think it takes to be a successful artist? Uh, that's a big question. Um, we had talked earlier. I mean, you, yeah. In 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 some cases, it takes a lot, and in some cases, it it takes a little. I mean, you could, you know, I think historically, you sort of toiled away in obscurity until someone of relatively high esteem or influence stumbled upon your work and said, "Oh, this is important," and told their peers, and then you became a successful artist. That was sort of the historical path. That path still exists, and a lot of artists like pursuing that sort of purist approach. But now. Uh, you can discover and learn a software tool and make cool digital art on your computer and figure out some style that's interesting to you and your friends say they like it. And over the course of a month, publish a Tumblr, share it on Ello, share it somewhere and kick off an art career. Yeah. Um, I think in both of those scenarios, the sort of uh, long, arduous path versus the the short fortuitous kind of lucky internet path uh both require serious commitment to actually have an art career yeah the like one month exploration on a cool graphic style turns into a tumblr blows up on buzzfeed i don't know something like that like that only goes somewhere if you become or choose to become a committed artist and yeah. start navigating 
the various entry points and exit points of the art world and, and playing in that space and discovering that space. So I think like any other career, um, I don't know. It's about, I, I don't believe it's about being born with massive talent, but it's about committing to a craft and, yeah. and everything that, uh, surrounds the notion of that craft, you know, yeah. and like not much different than being an exceptional creative plumber or electrician or software engineer or a mm -hmm. chef. Like if you want to be really fucking good at it and make a good career out of it, you've got to commit to it and learn the nuances of the industry. Yeah. I mean, the thing about that, I mean, we had talked a little earlier about like visibility and influence and I mean, there's artists who are talented and then it's like, how do you get? Yeah. So I guess getting into some of the nuance of how that works, yeah. like the, there's shortcuts, but shortcut or not, they're necessary steps. Like you, you have to find some degree of visibility for yeah. your work. Um, but, but again, I think that's the same with like plumber, electrician, engineer, chef, yeah. uh, barista that wants to be a barista superstar, whatever, right? You have to get some visibility. People have to know your style, know your work, know you. Yeah. Uh, you have to leverage that visibility to begin to obtain some sort of influence, mm -hmm. meaning you have to be respected at a minimum in your space amongst your peers for anyone else to respect you. Uh, often in the art world, the best way to get some success is to be respected by your peers yeah. before being respected by anyone else. Because if your peers respect you and they're quality artists, that says a lot. And then you'll attract the attention of a gallerist or collector or someone like that. Yeah. Um, and so if you've got the visibility and you've begun to build some influence, then you have to figure out how to open doors and create opportunities for yourself. Um, some are going to open for you, but for the most part, you're going to have to find them and, yeah. and open them, which is talking to a gallerist, you know, blowing up online, building a bunch of portfolios online, building one portfolio online building a relationship with some press person in the art world that likes your work, building a relationship with a collector. There's any version of these paths you can go yeah. down or you can sort of work on all of them, I yeah. think, at any one time. You could just have a really cool style that, uh, you know, resonates with someone out there on the web that has a cool, you know, uh, print-on-demand web store and they sell the shit out of your prints and then that gets in front of the right person and before you know it you're making more originals and prints are fading away because they're not as advantageous to the development of your career and blah 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 so there's yeah. any number of uh paths i think that lead to success but i think there's there's an equation there something akin to you know get your work seen have your voice heard get paid to further simplify you know Find a way to get some visibility, use that to grow some influence, and then create some opportunities for yourself. Yeah. Um, it, so in some ways, you can simplify it down to that equation, but there's a lot of a lot, there's a lot, a lot of, of nuance and hard work and and decisions to be made in inside that you know sphere. simplified equation. So I mean, and so bringing it back around to Ella, I mean, you guys are helping create opportunity is a big part of what you're doing. Yeah, well, so, you're doing it with, brand, with connecting them to brands. And that's one piece of it. So, yeah. Um, yeah, we use this visibility influence opportunity model to really build the product. And even when we were a little bit lost, in my opinion, pursuing some unknown network narrative under this Facebook uh, killer proposition, Lucian and I, from a design perspective, we're still 
building the sort of features and functionality into the product that was very artist and creative focused yeah uh to help create visibility help build influence to the best of our ability those were two things we were focused on knowing we were aspiring towards getting to this opportunities layer yeah. and the opportunities layer to us is really about how do we get more creatives paid and when we look out as a company and as individuals at the globe today and the internet there's a massive volume of untapped undeveloped some developed talent and these people don't know what the hell to do with their talent yeah they don't know how to approach a brand they don't know how to approach an agency maybe they think they do maybe they don't want to work in an agency they don't know how to promote themselves online they're super talented they're super creative and there should be more opportunities for them. Yeah. So what we've done in our ecosystem is bring a way to bring, and we've done this with galleries, museums, brands, agencies, uh, art representatives, bring these people into our ecosystem and let them launch projects to engage our community and get our community paid to participate in those projects. Uh, and now we're working to scale that. Yeah. So we want to be an opportunities ecosystem where uh, great work and ideas gets rewarded. We continue to work every day to provide enhanced visibility and influence to our community members to help them further their career. I mean, in a nutshell, our, our mission is to put creators first yeah and and the creators we're talking about are different like the creators has become a buzzword everyone's a, everyone with an iphone is now a creator which f fine they are on again on some spectrum yeah they're a creator we're not necessarily talking about those we're talking about the people that are a little more advanced in their artistic or creative practice who can can and want to get paid for what they're doing yeah. creatively and so we're trying to help shortcut and facilitate those opportunities at the same time there's other trends happening that all the brands of the world are struggling to create quality content at scale and and reach their desired audiences and so uh, one of the things we've been fortunate uh, about is that we've cultivated a community largely of the creators that we're talking about uh, Illustrators, fine artists, gift makers, 3D artists, fashion photographers, landscape photographers, super conceptual photographers, uh, videographers, musicians, like of creatives with real skills. Yeah. And uh, so when we bring projects into our ecosystem, not only do the folks we partner with, the brand, agency, gallerist, museum, whoever, get a bunch of creative work out of the community, they have an opportunity to engage their brand, their identity, their mission with this community of creatives and they can build brand affinity amongst that community yeah. just for bringing a project to them. So it's not just about getting work, but it's actually about supporting a community. Like if and if huh. and if you're a brand that understands the value of uh, creator, creative person, artist, designer, creative influencer affinity towards your brand is is super important. If you get if you get that concept, and I'll yeah. I'll elaborate. Like if you look at most groups of people or peer groups, the most creative people in those groups. By the way, we tend to define creativity socially today. Uh, you know, the people with the most sort of 
alternative, freewheeling, do whatever the fuck you want, I make cool shit sort of lifestyles tend to be the influencers and the leaders in those peer groups. So if you earn the affinity of those people genuinely, yeah. they'll influence their peer group and your reach as a museum or an arts org or a rep or a brand or an agency or anything will grow by supporting and communicating with those people. When you add a whole nother layer to that and you employ those people and you put money in their pockets and you actually support them, uh, you sort of close that whole loop. Yeah. So we've been building an ecosystem to connect all those dots, support artists on one side and then bring in opportunities from other people that want to support artists financially and through other promotional mechanisms and then marry those two things together to hopefully build lasting relationships, lasting brand affinity and, and give creatives more opportunities to, uh, grow their visibility, grow their influence, and ultimately move their creative career wherever the fuck they want yeah. and hopefully influence society in some larger, more positive way through that experience. And, and again, just talking about other dynamics happening, uh, and, and maybe you were going to ask me about this, but the, the creative world is changing due yeah. to technology and the historical sort of agency uh, dynamics, the way brands have worked with agencies, the way agencies have worked with brands, like all that shit is changing with yeah. the advent of crowdsourcing and, and the fact that everyone has a small computer in the palm of their hand with software on it to make art. I want to take a quick break to tell you more about our Patreon page. As you know, here at State of the Art, we want to build the art and tech community, increase the conversation, and we love bringing you guests from across the art and tech world. But the thing is, there's so much more we want to do. We want to continue to bring you great guests. We want to do live podcasts. We want to increase the frequency. To do that, though, we need your support. Visit our page at patreon.com slash state of the art. Pledge just a dollar and you'll get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes footage, and a chance to be our super fan of the week. And let me tell you, this is pretty cool. Super fans will get a shout out on next week's episode and a chance to show your art and tech thoughts, events, or whatever within our social feeds. So go to patreon.com slash state of the art and become one of our patrons today. Now back to the episode. The first guest we had, Maddie Moe, who goes by the most famous artist. I mean, he talked about in order to be a successful artist, which he basically said an artist who's able to make a living off of creating, you need to work with brands. So, I mean, he would agree with you. But there's this- well, no I, I'm, But I'm not even saying you need to. I, I, I see that as one avenue. Yeah, well, and, his uh, view is you need, you, you need to. That's, that's the way you're going to make a living. But, you know, he talked about there being this pushback from the sort of fine art community, art schools of- sort of art world in that small circle of working with brands is selling out. Yeah, there's a conflict there. The art world wants to see itself in a certain light. That light is starting to shine in different areas. I mean, what do you tell an artist who you might come across or meet who talks about just having graduated from one of the top art schools and looking to get in a gallery, is trying to make a living doing what they're doing, and feels like working with a brand, working, you know, going through LA to work with a brand would be selling out. 
Yeah. Um, I, you know, having worked with tons of brands and then done a high volume of independent art projects and having spent hundreds of hours discussing, thinking about brands on one end of the spectrum, the high art world on the other, selling out somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, I today sort of look at the world through the lens of opportunity and personal creativity. So if you want to use working with a brand, like if you can find a way to work with Nike and do some fucking radical work with Nike and parlay that into a shortcut into a gallery, you're just smarter than most creatives. Someone might call you a sellout, but you know, frankly, it's probably someone with, weaker mind and less tenacity who's not willing to make a similar play sure um is there still this uh sort of beautifully constructed notion of you know the artist like living in obscurity working on paintings for two decades to hopefully one day be discovered and ha- like does society still look at the art world like that some people do but mm-hmm. i don't think that fucking matters i mean s- selling out to me is a it's a concept that's unique to every individual yeah um, interesting and uh well well again the the notion exists on a spectrum like and you create that own spectrum for yourself so once you decide like hey if i do this i've sold out and you do that then then you've sold out to yourself and maybe you're okay with that or maybe you're not but other people projecting like this notion of like when someone does x they've sold out like that's bullshit like you're the only judge of when you've sold out everyone has a fucking opinion now so they get to like voice it yeah um but again i just think it's like it's opportunity and 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 risk assessment like is there risk there do you think working with a brand is going to hinder the long-term potential of your art career if you really believe that maybe that's true for you or you don't know the right way to work with a brand i see uh i think the best brands out there working with artists are just providing great fucking artists for opportunity uh, great fucking opportunities for artists that Mm -hmm. may enable them to shortcut what was traditionally a longer, more challenging path to, to being successful. But to me, uh, it's about opportunity. And like, you know, every individual needs to decide for themselves what opportunities they're, they're interested in engaging in. And I I guess part of the reason why they say it's selling out is because, you know, they're, the brands are potentially limiting some of your, you know, creative direction and potentially, potentially. and that that all depends on the brand and the project. And so I think to say that that's happening overwhelmingly is uh, short sighted, you know, and it, it, some of our most successful projects over my 22 year now, career as a professional designer artist having my own studios and businesses the whole time have been funded by brands who let us just do fucking crazy shit other times we've been totally constrained by brands and it's been a bummer but um the more you learn about that relationship uh the better you get at managing it you know some young creative that just gets thrown into the fire working through an agency on behalf of a brand is going to get bullied and screwed into just doing some probably lame 
yeah. project for the brand. But when you build a reputation and you have a style and people respect your opinion, you can come to a brand or an agency and say, hey, no, this is what we want to do. Yeah. And we want to do, like, we're aligned with the goals of this brand. You first and foremost have to be there. Yeah. If you're not aligned with the vision and goals, you shouldn't be working for a brand. But if you are and you want to bring them something really fucking cool and you can sell that through, the challenge as a creative then becomes selling. Mm -hmm. You've got to sell your idea. And if you sell your idea, I mean, you can do great shit for brands. So, um, it's, yeah, it's funny. Cause I mean, they, they, there's a school thought, at least in the startup world is like constraints breed innovation. You know, the more constraints, yeah. you have, the more creative you have to be. Totally. So this is an interesting counterpoint. And if you look back though, in history, I mean, a lot of, you know, the, the church was often the one that has made like the masters famous and, and you can better believe that the church put a whole lot of constraints on those artists to do what they created that now is looked at as like the master's artist and Michael. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, and so it's like brands are the church of the 21st. They're, they're one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think totally agree that constraints are important. Um, and, and I think when you're a younger creative constraints are threatening and, and nerve wracking and create anxiety. And then once you acquire some skills and some experience and you've been around the block a little bit, constraints are totally welcomed. And you're like, great, now we're working in this little box. It's yeah. real little. So how the fuck are we gonna do something rad in this tiny little box? Yeah. And then that becomes the compelling challenge. And then when you can do that, people appreciate that. Yeah. And then you can create more opportunity from that. Um, so, you know, it all, it all depends on the brand and who works at the brand and what the brand's attitude is. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I don't, I don't see it as selling out at all. The, is it before this, we were, we were talking and, you know, I mean, this is this, the podcast about art and technology. And I think people have, when they think about art and I say people, you know, those who are not sort of directly connected to or passionate about art, the general public, whatever you want to say, has this view of what art is. Art is in a gallery, art is this. But, you know, now that artists are working more with brands, I mean, what you're helping them do, you know, how do you think that will change or has changed or should change the way people perceive what art is? And, um, you know, this idea that art is all around us now or, or will be the more that, that artists start working with brands. Well, I think that's one of the positive things of like just globally brands endorsing artists and, yeah. and appreciating art more. Art is all around us now. And, yeah. and I think that's a win for everyone. Uh, I think at the high end of the art world, they may not love that and brands are encroaching on part of their turf or whatnot. But for uh, every individual's like daily pleasure, the more art there is, the merrier. Mm -hmm. You know, it's I see it as largely just a beautification of our global culture. And if brands are putting money forward to endeavor in that manner tastefully without just plastering the logos all over art and whatnot, then um, that's a value. And is it exposing more people to art? Sure. Is it changing uh, how people look at art in a bigger conceptual way? I don't know. Maybe for some, it's probably yeah. societies changing, right? Yeah. Like through digitization, digitalization and the internet and, you know, autonomous vehicles and new cryptocurrencies based on the blockchain, like coming to fruition and ev everything's fucking changing. So yeah. this like amalgamation of like culture shifting rapidly is super interesting. And art kind of being everywhere is a big piece of that. And mm -hmm. 
you know, the verdict's still out, but overwhelmingly we know people don't love ads, like bombarding their daily rituals and their what they perceive as their personal space. So I yeah. think the more brands can integrate it into the world around us, the more they're going to mitigate the, like less tasteful things they've done historically banners billboards overly branded you know public experiences which most people think suck and um and and the same thing applies to the internet right like everyone's being targeted and retargeted with advertising and like no one really likes that experience and the data is kind of showing that doesn't really perform so more and more brands more and more marketers more and more just entities in general are looking to leverage art as a sort of approachable, acceptable, appreciated way to visually communicate with other people, Mm -hmm. which is good for art. Maybe not at the high end of the game, but for art in general, it's it's providing uh, greater accessibility. You you talked about blockchain or you mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, what, what technology do you see out there that will have effect or will be adapted by the art world and how do you see it being adapted and how do you think it'll be for good or for yeah i mean i i think the next two years the blockchain is going to be a big deal blockchain powered technologies um and particularly alternative cryptocurrencies and i think uh these sorts of technologies blockchain-based technologies are going to emerge around the periphery of more heavily regulated industries and alternative spaces like the art space, largely because there's very little federal or state regulation in the art space. So people are going to experiment with uh, rights management and alternative arts buying currencies and currencies to value art and uh, ways to document the origin and creation process of a piece to share that historically as a piece gets sold and resold and collected over time. So I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in the art space using the ledger capacity of the blockchain to sort of document uh, transactions, if you will, into perpetuity. I think that's super exciting. I think it, I think the next couple of years online are going to be super exciting because we're going to see blockchain based technologies hitting every market sector. Uh, in some of these markets, it's going to be real shallow initially, and in others, it'll be deeper. It might hit the art world deeper, quicker, because yeah. it's it's less regulated and it's more of a freewheeling space. Um, we're looking at some some blockchain cryptocurrency integrations. Like ultimately, we want to get artists paid. Yeah. So if we can pay creatives for the ways in which they engage with our product at a, at a baseline level, we're bringing them a lot of value. And then if we can find ways to further incentivize them earning money through certain types of engagement we're we're going to do that so we're it's pretty early but we've added some advisors uh to our board and we've had some pretty high level conversations about a, a variety of blockchain so the idea is what it would work where artists would continue to get paid for in our case we'd create our own currency launch it into the ecosystem every activity that you engaged in you'd earn currency and then that currency could be cashed out on exchange or held onto as the currency increases in value. And then we'd continue to release currency at a specified rate to help inflate in a fair, manageable way the yeah. value of the currency and thereby creating more of a uh, financially sustainable artist ecosystem. It's like we have a big vision for it, but it's not an overnight sort of thing to wow. integrate. 
Um, and, and someone will do that. Someone may beat us to it. Yeah. Um, and that's great because that thing needs to be in the world. And there's, there's networks and communities out there where people are getting paid for their engagement today in alternative currencies. And those currencies are then liquid on the, on any number of exchanges. And, and these people are literally funding themselves through blogging by getting paid in alternative currencies. Uh, on a variety of networks out there. Yeah, it's interesting. And so, yeah. but the reason yeah. I'm so excited about blockchain is it's, uh, I believe it's going to be adopted, particularly millennial, centennial, people younger than us thinkers mm -hmm. are, are open to sort of, they were born digital, they've seen radical invention and intervention on the internet mm -hmm. and they're open to change yeah and and they're going to embrace uh decentralized community power technologies like the blockchain where people are actually getting rewarded for their contributions to the internet yeah rather than some big holding company reaping all the benefits of you of of the 1.0 sharing economy yeah you know you post all your shit to facebook facebook gets all the data sells the ads like Sure, you get to share your photos with the world, but you don't. Your photos are worth money. Yeah, your words are worth money, and someone's extracting all that value, and you're getting none of it. So I feel like this democratization wow. of internet technologies is close, and it's yeah. going to come with younger people thinking differently and, and applying new technologies atop the layers of the web that we have in place today. And that's what's interesting about the blockchain because it fits in, plugs into everything. Yeah. What, I mean, man, I, I need to chew on that. This gives us a lot to think about. What, I mean, there are others out there, VR, 3D printing, other things that you think will have as big an influence or a dent? No, and I'm not like, uh, uh, you know, technology savant or anything, but that I know the blockchain's coming fast just yeah. from my connectivity to the larger internet world. And I've done quite a bit of research and talked to a lot of people in the space and it, it's a sort of ubiquitous new technology that makes sense to scale. Is 3D printing going to scale and be more widely yeah. embraced? Sure. Like, yeah. is VR? Uh, uh, I've got uh, my buddy uh, John Young is crushing it out in SF in the VR art space. Yeah. And, and I think he's going to have a crazy successful art career. Uh, he's sculpting in a 3D virtual environment right now and then connecting it uh integrating it with real world photography and various things and i think we're going to see some super rad shit in the vr art space but i don't think it's going to be transformative to the degree that blockchain technology mm -hmm. could be at scale on the internet yeah you know, thinking about like the brands that artists are working with and then the data piece do you feel like part of the reason that the brands are able to pay the artists is because they're using all the data that they're gathering from other sites to then uh, well not people? in our case i no. mean you know if we work with a brand there's no data exchange yeah it's purely they're paying yeah. us to launch a project for our artist community to engage and create work for yeah and then they buy a certain amount of that work and they can use other work that's been submitted over the course of the project as long as they provide attribution to the artists like socially yeah uh, but they can't use it in the capacity which they're paying for the Got final it. artwork and then we're we're then rewarding the artists um so to my knowledge, like are, are brands buying data from data brokers to learn more about their consumers? Totally. Yeah. Um, I think for the most part, most of their consumers are, are cool with that. 
Yeah. You know, lots of brand, like super dope, like avant-garde brands like Supreme probably isn't out there buying data about their consumers because they don't need to. They're yeah. doing super limited releases. They have a built-in community. They get really hyped. Everyone buys their shit. They don't need to like data mine to figure yeah. out how to sell more, but do the big brands that are figuring out how to eke every last piece of a penny out of, out of their sales cycle? Are they buying data and trying to understand more about their demo, their user demographic psyches and buying habits and day-to-day lives? I'm sure they are. Yeah. But we also, you know, everyone, uh, we opened up that door as a society and gave all the data away. So if anyone like, if that's like sort of an epiphany for anyone, like, holy shit, brands are buying my data and, and insurance companies are buying my data and car companies are, like, are buying, everyone's buying your data. Like what well, you gave all your data away. Yeah. You know, the minute you made a, a account on any one of these major social products and didn't read the terms or privacy policy. Do you have an Instagram account? I don't have any personal social yeah. accounts anywhere other than on Ello. Lucian and I have a studio Instagram account. Okay. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I've never as myself joined a social network. Yeah. What, uh, I mean, so what's the, what, what's your vision either? I mean, of, of Ello or of kind of 10 years from now looking at sort of like the art and tech space. I mean, you've hinted at a number of things with blockchain, but you know, yeah, what's that, well, what's we, that you know, we want to, like? we want to get artists paid. We're building a, a small creative studio inside LO to better utilize, uh, the platform and help activate the community. Yeah. Um, and then we just see bringing more and more opportunities from brands, arts entities, museums, agencies as proxies of brands, uh, art representatives, anyone that's interested in seeing emergent to establish creative talent, potentially paying for it, uh, doing it kind of quickly in a cool environment where you want to support creatives. Like, for example, in in two weeks, we can light up a project, get a thousand artists submitting work to it, pay out 10 of them. Yeah. Another 10 of them are going to get featured and published here or there. And then some of them may get their work used over social. They may not get paid, but they're getting that exposure. And if the brand gets good reach out of that piece on social, they may want to do more with it. And then we can go back and pay the artist. So we're, we're just trying to create more and more ways to get artists paid. Yeah. And uh, there's such talent on the platform today that if you like just like our gift making community, if an agency wanted to make a gift and they, or, or say a dozen gifts, and they were going to go try and do that in-house because they have some kid that's pretty good at gift making. Like they'll make a dozen okay gifts over the course of three weeks, but like we could have a thousand in five days, and two hundred and fifty of yeah. them are going to be way better than what the agency can do in-house. So you, you know, yeah, literally can scale it up. Yeah, like and so that. you know, and some people are like, oh, it's like if it's like too crowdsourcey, or you're not guaranteed to get paid or to, then don't do it. You know, mm -hmm. there's all different sorts of opportunities for people. Um, but what we're trying to do is bring opportunities where as many of the people involved get paid, get published, get more visibility, get more influence and expand their career. Um, and, and part of being a creative, part of being good at anything is working hard at it and not getting paid in the beginning yeah. in one way or another you've got to figure out what that means for you you could paint in your closet you know or you could design you could paint in your closet for a bunch of years and maybe that 
you become a great painter. Maybe you don't. You could design logos for two years on fucking uh, 99 designs design, yeah. and, and, and get 50 to 250 bucks a logo. But if you do that diligently and you're constantly working on logos in two or three years, you'd probably be a pretty good logo designer. Yeah, and then yeah. you could open up your own studio and maybe still do projects there that pay more or not and yeah. just do them through your own studio. So um, I think technology like ours and, and all sorts of these other platforms uh, sometimes like, you know, there's people that herald crowdsourcing as like the solution to create it. Like it's not the end all be all, but it's coming. It's here to stay. And, uh, platforms need, uh, creatives need more outlets. And these new platforms are providing those outlets and brands and agencies and other arts entities are like taking advantage of that as they should. And if everyone treats the process and the opportunities with respect, I think there's ways where everyone can win almost always. Uh, but it's, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. the, the mindset you take to it. And one of the other things we do is most of our projects don't require spec work. So we're asking people to share existing work they've already created under some certain type of context that they may or may not have made any money off of. Yeah. So we, we have lots of artist invites running on the platform where we're just saying, share work that you have and you can get paid, you can get published. Huh. So like there's a fucking treasure trove of data and digital art sitting out there that no one's seen, no one's gotten paid wow. for, no one's used. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like, like some of our best work is in essence dead to be resurfaced someday in our burger and fair archive. You know, I mean, we've got fucking drive upon drive upon drive in there of 20 years of creative work wow. and some of it's super rad and no one's seen it, you know? Yeah. And, and that's most creatives. Like very little of the work made in a creative studio gets shown. Yeah. Um, like for in the in the case of a high end artist, I guess you you get to a point where most to all of your paintings, once you've had some success and you know how to like paint really well, for example, make it out into the yeah. world. But then again, I mean, museums and galleries only really show two percent of what they have. Yeah. So totally. it's it's in some especially if they're collecting, right? Yeah. All right. This is well, before I let you go. Can I do a quick rapid fire? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right. Um, three questions. First one, what's, what's your first memory related to art? So the, the first one that stands out is, uh, hanging out in my, uh, grandpa's basement in Chicago, uh, with a stack of Ed Emberly drawing books. And he, uh, with his, his little chihuahua, Chi-Chi, who was named after the golfer, Chi-Chi Rodriguez, sitting on his lap, uh, teaching me how to draw, uh, very simply um uh figurative people and animals and just like really enjoying it and feeling the sort of progress coming from the narration in the book and seeing my skills developing and um it was early it was an early experience into like the value of like commitment and process yeah uh that i think helped in some ways maybe inform my creative career but that's one of my earliest memories uh, what's your life motto? You know, I, I saw that question and Lucian and I were talking about this a little bit this morning and I, I don't know that I by de facto have one, but I try to live under the general premise of if you put well-intentioned, kind, thoughtful energy out into the universe, that yeah. that's what you'll get back. And, and in that cycle of, of producing, 
that kind of energy and receiving it, good things will happen. So I, I try to adhere to a general approach to life based on I like that. putting out good vibes and hoping to receive some back. All right, there we go. All right, last one. If you're a new addition to the crayon box, what color would you be and why? Yeah, um, that's cool. That's a tricky one. So, if, you know, if this is a theoretical, conceptual yeah. crayon box. This is whatever you want it to be. Um, I think I'd like to be a kind of tie-dyed, uh, rainbow-colored okay. crayon. So over the course of its use, uh, it could take on very sort of communicative capacities and, and, and feelings and trajectories uh, from blue to yellow to red to orange. Uh, and, and creatively, I feel... Uh, while I place a lot of constraints upon myself, at the same time, I like to start every day anew and see where the hell it may go within those constraints yeah. and and sort of rainbow blurred color spectrum kind of symbolizes that. Wow. You just you just raised the bar on that answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where where can if you're an artist, if you're a brand, where where can we find you? Oh yeah. Um go to elo.co, E L L o.co and uh check out our artist community it's super cool look for opportunities under the artist invites tab all right if they want to reach you is there a way to do that you have a yeah you know our studio is sort of frozen in time uh burger and fair b-e-r-g-e-r-f-o-h-r.com you can connect us uh connect with us through our our studio uh via hello at at burgerfair.com great thanks Todd, Ethan. it's been a pleasure very cool man all right super th fun thank you well, that's the end of today's episode. To find more of Elo and Todd, go to elo.co. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah, and don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode, and really cool art videos you're gonna wanna show your friends. Until next week, this is your host, Ethan Appleby, signing off from State of the Art.